0: This is, uh, this is part two of, of that. And so we're going to be in Habakkuk again. We're going to be in Habakkuk 3. I know that's hard to find, so I'll give you a second. That is a, it's a prophet kind of in the middle, very small, three chapters. Habakkuk 3, we started last week. We're going to go back to Habakkuk this week. And the next week we're going to do um, something different. One of the things that we've all dealt with, and I would imagine you can relate to this, I certainly have, There is a verse in Psalm 55, and what David basically says, and I think it's awesome how honesty is, is he says, if I had wings, I would just fly away. His point was, he's in the midst of a very difficult time, and he's like, I just want to get out of here. Like, if I could just fly away and escape, that would be the best. And I just wonder, have you ever felt that? Have you ever had a day or a scenario or a situation where you're like, man, if I could just leave, like, I just want to get out of here then I want to be away. I have at least a few of those days every year where I'm like, all I want to do is just get out of here. I want to go somewhere else. I want to escape. And the truth is that as nice as that would be, it doesn't actually fix anything. It doesn't solve anything. Doesn't resolve anything. This um, idea, and we all, I think, relate to it is called escapism. It's called escapism. And so the definition of it is it's the tendency to seek distraction and relief from unpleasant realities, especially by seeking entertainment or engaging in fantasy. So it's uh, it's this idea of I wanna get distraction and relief from unpleasant realities. The problem is it's temporary. And so psychologists today have actually done a lot of studies on this. In fact, our culture today is a very escapist culture. And so a lot of advertisers, a lot of things you see get at this. It's an invitation to escape Unpleasant realities to distract yourself, but without actually fixing the problem And So even non-christian psychologists that I was reading this week would say this idea of escapism It's so prevalent in our culture yet. It's very unproductive. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't solve anything And So there's something that we need more than escaping reality There's something we need more than that like you getting drunk on a weekend doesn't fix any of your problems, does it? It doesn't And so you saying, well, I'm just going to go to porn. Like that's going to maybe allow me some temporary relief. That doesn't fix problems. I mean, you say, man, I'm just going to jump into social media for a little bit and and escape. That doesn't solve problems. So we need something different than escape. And so there is a uh, a commentator on the Gospel of John. It's probably the best commentary on the Gospel of John I've read. His name's Dale Bruner. This is a quote. We've used it before. I'm going to put it up here on the screen. It's, it's a quote I love. I go back to this quote all the time. And this is what he says about Jesus. When Jesus invites us to rest in Matthew 11, he says, come if you are weary and you can rest in me. That's an invitation to you today. If you're weary, if you're tired, if you're burdened, if you're anxious, if you're worried, whatever it is, Jesus is inviting you to come and experience rest. And this is what he says. The most restful gift Jesus can give the tired is a new way to carry life. A fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism. That's the opposite of escapism. Saying, hey, just being realistic. Sees that life is a succession of burdens. Meaning that you're going to have burdens in life. You're going to have hard things. You're going to experience suffering. You're going to experience worry. You're going to experience these things. You can't get away from them. Instead of offering escape. I love this line. Jesus offers equipment. I just want you to think about that. Instead of offering escape Jesus offers equipment. And so he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to give you wings so you can fly away and escape. He's like, no, I'm going to give you equipment that you could actually have to go through life. And so that's what I want for you. I want you to have equipment. I want you to have the ability to have stability. That was an unintentional rhyme. That was amazing. Um, No matter what you go through, that in anything in life, that even the things around you might not change, and they might be difficult you would have the equipment to go through them. And so that's why we're doing this series. And so um, part one, we just said, why does God allow difficult things to happen to us? That was what we did last week. You can go back and listen to this. Today, we're going to answer the question, how do we face suffering? How do we face hard things? How do we face these challenges when life's not how we want it to be? How do we face those things? Um, next week, we'll, we're going to start getting into some specific things And we'll just take that as long as we want to. Could be six weeks, could be four, haven't really decided yet. And so this is my main point today. I'm just going to give this to you now at the beginning. I feel like I'm kind of ruining my surprise, but this is going to be from Habakkuk 3, 1 to 16. This is the main point. Um, You can go back to the main one. How do we face suffering? This is like my main, my thesis, if you will, is a firm foundation of peace. This is the equipment. How do you get the equipment? The firm foundation of peace, whatever's going on around you, comes by remembering and rejoicing in who God is. That's his person. That's what he's like, his character, his attributes, and what God has done, his past work. So his person and his past work, since that's what we're going to talk about. If you want to have a firm foundation of peace, no matter what's happening around you, it's going to come, not by escaping but by remembering and rejoicing in who God is and what he's done. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And so this is Habakkuk three before we read this. This is 16 verses. It's going to feel long. It's really not long. And there's going to be times where like, I have no idea what he's talking about, but that's why I'm here. That's why they pay me. And so in Habakkuk, if you remember last week, who is he? He was a prophet. And so what a prophet does is anytime you hear that, they're speaking on behalf of God to the people. So God gives them a message and they are delivering that to the people. And specifically, he is in the the southern kingdom of Israel from 609 to 598 BC. And you're like, why does that matter? Because that was a horrible time to be in the southern kingdom of Israel. Because of their sin and rebellion, God was about to deliver them into the hands of enemies. And they were going to be exiled. Their whole city was going to be destroyed And a lot of people were going to be exiled. And so that was going to be the punishment. And so Habakkuk is living in this. He knows that's about to happen. And he knows that his own people, a lot of them, are not following God. And so he's wrestling with this. He's like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I don't understand why you're doing the things that you're doing. And so Habakkuk writes this this book, essentially, that's three chapters. And it's not your typical prophecy. Because I said this last week, what a normal prophecy is, is, it is usually a prophet telling the people that what they're doing is stupid and they need to come back to the Lord. And that's not what Habakkuk's doing. What Habakkuk is doing in this book is he is recording his own painful personal struggle with questions of faith. He's like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? I don't understand this. And then it's God answering those questions. And if you remember last week, at the very beginning, Habakkuk's first question is, he says, how long, O Lord? So he's in this anguish. He's saying, God, I don't understand this. He's impatient. He's anxious. And then at the very end of the book, he acknowledges. He says, hey, even if everything's horrible, I'm still going to rejoice in you. I'm still going to trust you. And so the question is, how did he get there? How did he get from saying, how long, O Lord, to yet I will rejoice in anything. I'll trust you in anything. Like something happened in between there that got him there. Do you see what I'm saying? And so that's what we got to do. we got to figure out what happened in this conversation with God between his first question and his last statement. How did he get there? And how do we get there? How do we get from being like, God, what are you doing to, okay, I'm going to trust you and rejoice in you no matter what? Well, the answer is in Habakkuk 3, 1 to 16. This is a summary of what has happened in this conversation. And so what he does is he says this prayer this is going to be based on some of the things that God has shown him. And so again, bear with me here. I'm going to show you, you're going to hear this, and be like, I don't know how this is relevant to life in high school today. And again, that's why they pay the big bucks. I'm going to show you why this is relevant, at least I'm going to try to. Um, and so this is a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigenoth. I had a hard time saying that. If you're like, what the heck does that mean? It's a musical term. So what's he doing? He's singing this. This is a song. So in the midst of very difficult things happening, Habakkuk is singing, and the reason why is because he's worshiping God. He is worshiping the Lord, even in the midst of some of these things that are confusing him, even in the midst of his fears and anxieties and worries and struggles, and his circumstances not changing, he's worshiping. And so in this prayer, God's going to give him a vision. And so I'm just going to read some parts of it and just talk about it, and then I'm going to kind of make my two points, and we'll be done. So he says, oh, Lord, I've heard the reports of you. I've heard what people have said about you and and your work O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise. Just listen to this description of God. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence And plague followed at his heels. He's describing the Exodus when God rescued Moses and his people from slavery. He stood and measured the earth, he looked and shook the nations. This is a God who he's in control of all the earth, all of creation, and he's so powerful, he can shake any nation, no matter how powerful they are. Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low. His or the everlasting ways. he's eternal. he's not bound by time like we are. I saw the tents of Keshan in affliction. the curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord, was your anger against the rivers, or your indignation against the sea, when you rode on your horses, on your chariots of salvation? you stripped the sheep from your bow, calling for many arrows. Say laws, just a term to me. Pause and reflect on that. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and ride. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice and lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped. At the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. Promise, Donald. Promise. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying bare from thigh to neck. Say, You pierced. With his own arrows, the heads of his warriors, who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. Now he switches to himself. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait For the day of trouble to come upon people who have made it. What the heck is happening? Well, this is what he's saying. He's remembering God's past works at the time of Moses with the Exodus. How God rescued his people. And he's praying that God would be active and present and powerful with his people like he was then. And so he knows that God is holy. He knows that God judges sin. He says that in there. But he also knows that God is merciful. That that's who he is. He's so holy and so powerful, yet he's also so merciful. And so in these verses, he gets this vision of who God is, and he's using these images that were used at the time of the Exodus when God rescued his people from slavery so they could be in a relationship with himself. And he's just declaring this. He's like, look at who God is. He's holy. He's powerful. He's in control of the entire world. He says that nothing can defeat him or stop him from accomplishing his purposes. And he talks about some rivers. One of the rivers he's referring to is the Nile River, which would have been in Egypt. Now I've been to Uganda where the Nile River runs through it. And I had to fly on a missionary jet, which was terrifying over the Nile River. Okay. And this jet was shaking while we were going over. I don't know if I've ever been more scared in my life. I I felt so out of control flying over the Nile River. I was like, I'm done. I have nothing I can do here. If this thing shakes, like I'm gone and, he's saying God's in control of that river. Like there's nothing in that river that God can't handle. That's what he's saying. And so this God who's in control of nature, like there's nothing in nature that he can't control. He's also in control over the forces of history. All of history goes according to his plan. He's in control of all of nature. He's in control of all history. And that same God, this is what Habakkuk is saying, uses his might to show mercy to his people. He is both powerful and personal. And that's what Habakkuk's celebrating. And so what's happening in all of this, we had to summarize it. Habakkuk is singing a song about the past faithfulness of God. That's what he's doing over and over again. It's just these reminders from the Old Testament of who God is and what he's done in the past for his people. And so in verse 16, when you see it here, he's looking at what's about to happen. He's like, our, our city is about to be taken over He is in impending despair. And even in that, he is remembering the faithfulness of God. And he's rejoicing in God because of what God has done. So this is not a fake. Oh, everything's great and everything's not really great. That's not what he's doing. He's trusting and resting in God, even when everything around him is about to get worse. And so this greatly affects how you read the Bible, by the way. Because Habakkuk is not saying, oh, I'm the hero and I'm going to fix everything. That's not what he's doing. He's saying... God is the hero. He's the point of the whole thing. And so when you read scripture, just side note, you're not the point. You're not the point of scripture. And so what a lot of us do is we open our Bibles and we try to find out what should I do. And so this is just a clear sign that that shouldn't be our focus. What our focus should be when we read scripture is to see Jesus and what he's done. And so the the classic example, which I taught on last spring, is David and Goliath. And you've heard this. Or David and Goliath, one of the common ways that we talk about it is, oh, you can be like David. Like you can, you can have courage like David and defeat the enemies in your life, okay? And that's not the point of the story. The point of the story is that we are like the afraid Israelites that can't solve our problems. We need a David to come and do something for us that we can't do for ourselves. That's Jesus. It points to him. That's the whole point of the book. And Habakkuk showing this. He's showing us that God is the savior. He's the hope. We're not. And so in Habakkuk three, you get this gospel rhythm established. It's a way of living regardless of your circumstances, if you have a relationship with Christ. And so here's the question. Point number one, how do we experience peace and stability in life when it doesn't go how we want to, when it's difficult? Okay, number one, we rejoice and we remember who God is. His person, his character. And so think about this. What does God give to this person in the Old Testament who is confused and suffering? Does he give him an answer? Does he say, let me explain everything and it's going to make you feel better? That's not what he does. Let me tell you exactly why I'm doing this. It's not what he does. He doesn't fix it. He gives him himself. Why does he do that? Because God is enough, regardless of your circumstances. And so for me, I remember when I was a kid, my family and I, we went uh, white, white, It's really hard to say this White water rafting in Colorado And it was one of those Where I'm kind of like I can't really believe my parents took me on this particular path um, Because the opening speech Was the guy basically saying um, We need y'all to sign a waiver That this could result in death It was like one of those things Just like, Why are we doing this? I don't really know why And I remember I'm looking around at the guides And there were a few that I was like This is our hope like This guy is going to be our hope. And I made eye contact with this dude. His name was Charles. Probably to this day, other than myself, is the most ripped human being I have ever seen in my life. I mean, absolutely cut. And if, again, if you look at me, you're getting like a glimpse of what Charles looks like. So just multiply it by a little bit. Not too much. But um, when I saw Charles and his, his sculpted bicep, that sounds weird. Let's not get into that. When I saw Charles and just his rippedness, if you will, and I saw a future version of me, my, my fears went away. I was like, this guy is like, this guy could single-handedly carry the raft with everyone in it. And I had no fear anymore. Okay, the, the route did not get easier. The rapids did not calm down. They still made us sign the waiver of death, okay? But Charles was there. And so I was cool. And this is what Habakkuk is experiencing is his circumstances haven't changed at all, but he has a vision of who God is and so he has peace because God is enough. And so what a lot of us do is we spend more time focusing on our circumstances than focusing on Christ. And that's why we're up and down all the time is because we're so much looking at our circumstances. What's happening? What needs to change? We're looking about the future. We're looking at other people and what they think of us. And God's like, no, no, look at me. Because when you see who I am, you can have peace. And so when you know God, that changes how you view your circumstances. It gives you peace and joy no matter what your circumstances are. We've said this in here before. When I say joy, there's a difference between joy and happiness. Okay, happiness is I feel good, but something can change like that during your day and take away your happiness. You know what I'm talking about, right? Like you woke up, you're feeling good and then he or she said something to you or that teacher did this or whatever and then it's taken away from you. That's not what joy is. Joy is this deep rootedness that your circumstances can't take away from you because it's not rooted in your circumstances. Happiness is rooted in circumstances. Joy is rooted in Christ. Christ can't be taken from you. And so I I said this Wednesday night at the gathering. So if you were here, you're going to hear this again. But there was a song I was reminded of this week by Drake called Still Here, which by the way, this is for you. This is free. This is a picture of me on a Drake album cover. Look at that. That's for you. That's just free. Okay. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but I was reminded of that too. So you can just have that has nothing to do with anything, but it's just my gift to you for the new year. So anyway, that's, that is amazing. That I'm really proud of that. But anyway, the song by Drake still here. And I said this on Wednesday, if you're, if you were there, I'm repeating this, but he is basically celebrating how awesome he is and how great his life is. And he has this line in it where he essentially says, when he looks at his circumstances, he says, essentially, he goes, it's hard to think that God doesn't hear me. And what his point is, is that when he sees his life, he's like, well, God hears me. He's answering my prayers because my life's awesome. And that's what a lot of us do is we look at our circumstances. And if they're good, then we're like, oh, God's happy with me. He loves me, cares about me. But if they're bad, then we go, oh, God doesn't love me. He doesn't care about me. He's not with me. He's not in control. And so what we do is we use our circumstances like Drake does to dictate our view of God. And what Habakkuk is showing us is, no, you've got to use your view of God to shape how you see your circumstances. When you look at who God is, that's the lens through which you interpret your circumstances rather than letting your circumstances be the lens through which you view God. And so what do we need to do? We need to sing songs like we sing today, the goodness of our God. I needed that today, okay? Last week was demanding for me and I needed to sing a song today that reminded me of his goodness, okay? His goodness doesn't run out on us. All, our, all my life he's been faithful. I needed to sing that today. And so we need to learn the truth of God's goodness and faithfulness and sovereignty. His sovereignty is that he's in control of everything at, at all times. And so if times are good today, You need to get this truth deep into you because they're not always going to be good. And you need to have this deep into you when the times are bad. And if times are hard today for you, you need God's people. You need guys like Isaac that'll sing it. You need people like me that'll teach it to continually remind you every week of God's character. And so this is a quote. I'm going to give you some quotes and then we'll get to the last point. Is that This is one of my favorite quotes. I've used this in here a million times. Charles Spurgeon says this. God is too good to be unkind and he's too wise to be mistaken. So when we can't tra- trace his hand, we must trust his heart. I love that quote. We've got to look at his character. He's kind. He's wise. I can't always understand what he's doing, but I know him. And so I can trust his heart even when I don't understand what he's doing. This is a little formula from Habakkuk 3 that I have, I have written in my Bible. Okay, this is what it says. It says that God is good plus God is sovereign. That means he's in control of everything equals peace and trust. When I remember those two things about God, he's good. He's faithful. He's sovereign. I should have put faithful on there too. That will lead to experiencing peace and trust. I got to keep fueling my heart with who God is. I'm remembering and rejoicing that that's who God is. Okay, and so how do you do this? You don't read scripture to look for you and what you do. You read it to look for God, look for who he is. What's he like? What, look at him. Like seriously, just read a chapter of scripture and only look at it for what it teaches you about who God is. And if you don't know where to start, read Psalm 145. Okay, yeah, it's one of my go-tos. 145, Psalm 145. Then just make, write things down that it tells you about who God is, what he's like, what his character is. And so the gospel, if you really get this, and I'm going to make my last point, The fact that Jesus reconciles you to God, he brings you back into a relationship with God. That doesn't mean that your life's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that everything's going to go how you want it to. It means you're in a relationship with him and he's going to be enough whatever you go through. That's what it means. And we need to be real with that because a lot of churches are going to not tell you that. They're going to say, no, come to Jesus. Everything's going to be great in your life. Okay, tell that to Paul, right? Tell that to some of these people. Tell that to Habakkuk. That's not how it works. You get God and he's enough. He's enough whatever you go through. And so C.S. Lewis says this, and I'm going to make my last point about um, what God has done. This is Until We Have Faces. This quote's pretty epic. He says, I know now, Lord, why you utter no answer. Sometimes God doesn't answer your questions. God, why do you let this happen? He doesn't always tell you. Okay, but this is what it says. You yourself are the answer. Before your face, questions die away. God is the answer. When you look at him, your questions begin to melt because he's enough. And so we remember and rejoice in who he is. We also remember and rejoice in what God has done, his past works. That's what Habakkuk does. And so that's my second last point, is that Habakkuk also calls to mind all the awesome things that God has done for his people. Why do we do that? Why every single Sunday do we remind ourselves of the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done for us? Because when we remember God's faithfulness in the past, what he's done in the past, that gives us confidence that he's at work today and that he's to be trusted tomorrow. Okay, so biblical hope, it's not wishful thinking. It's not, oh, I hope it works out or it's faking it. It's not what it is. It's a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises of what God's done in the past. And so because God is good, because he's the one who saved us in Jesus, we can trust us. Then I want you to hear this. Your trials, the hard things you go through, it's not God punishing you. Because if you're in Christ, you're not under wrath anymore. You're under his favor. You're under his love. So it's not him punishing you. He's using these things to refine you and strengthen you in faith as his children because he loves you. He's not punishing you. He's using even the hard things to help you. That's how amazing he is. And so remembering and rejoicing in what he's done in the gospel fuels our trust for him today. And so I've used this illustration before, but trust is fueled by evidence. Trust is fueled by evidence. So just think about the people in your life that like make a promise to you. They're like, I'm going to do this and then they don't do it. And then they have this track record where they're like, I'm going to do this. And they don't or it's that person you're dating. They cheated on you or they like a teacher said they were to do this. and They did the opposite. Right? Like you look at their past, their their actions, and you go, No, 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 their their actions don't support their words, so I don't trust them. Right? That's what we do. We do this all the time. We trust or don't trust people based on not their words, but their actions. And what Habakkuk's doing is he's remembering God's actions. And that's fueling trust. He's looking at the past and he's saying, the evidence is that God's faithful. The ultimate evidence is we have something Habakkuk didn't have, and that's that he sent Jesus to die on a cross for us and to rise again so that we could have life with him forever. And so when I I don't know why God's letting something happen, when I'm struggling to trust his faithfulness, which happens to me, I've got to look at the cross. I've got to look at the gospel. I've got to remember and rejoice in what Jesus has done. And that fuels trust in me. And so this is the gospel rhythm that we need to find in our lives, remembering who God is and what he's done and rejoicing in that. When you do that, you will have a firm foundation regardless of your circumstances. When you forget to do that, when we forget, we're very forgetful people. Okay, I told you all on Wednesday, I on Wednesday, I parked my car at the YMCA, okay, and I left and I walked up to the wrong car and tried to open the door. And I'm like, why is this not open? And I realized that's not my parking spot. I totally, like an hour ago, I had forgotten where I had parked an hour ago. We forget all the time. We are forgetful That's why one of the most common commands in scripture is to remember because we forget all the time. And so when we forget is when we run into anxiety and worry and fear and panicking. When we remember who God is and what he's done and we rejoice in that, that gives us stability. And so I wanna give you three things that you can remember and rejoice in. I'm gonna tell you one story and then we're done. And these are are them. And so if you want scripture to go with this, I can give it to you after. But this week, I wanna encourage you and challenge you Remember and rejoice in these three things. These three things show you who God is and what he's done. One is that God saved you. If you're a believer, you did not save yourself. He saved you. He didn't look at you and go, oh, you behave better than people in your grade. You don't cuss as much as that other person at the lunch table or whatever. I'm going to save that person. It's not what he does. He saw everything about you and he saved you. And you couldn't have even trusted in him if he did not draw you in and open your heart. To see who he is. He saved you. You didn't save yourself. And that gives you hope that your salvation did not start in you at all. It has nothing to do with you. He did everything. And he's going to finish everything, which is the last one. But you can go to that and see that when life's hard, no, 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 God saved me. He's the origin of my salvation. Number two is he's not going to abandon you. So not only did he save you, he's going to stay with you. In no circumstance in your life will God abandon you. The hardest things, the thing you're worried about in the future, if you're like, man, I'm so worried about college next year. He's already there. He knows where you're going to be, and he's going to be with you. Anywhere you are, God will not abandon you in any circumstances. Boone said it so well earlier. In any sin that you have the rest of the school year, your friends might abandon you. Okay, other people might. God will never abandon you. And then number three is he's going to finish what he started. And so if he saved you, he's going to take you all the way to the finish line. And so sometimes life feels very up and down, but when God zooms out, when he sees it, he sees this journey, and he's taking you all the way to the finish line. So he saved you. He's not gonna abandon you in any circumstance and he's going to finish what he started. And so I'll end with this one story. Jonathan Edwards was a pastor in America. He's probably one of the most, he's probably the most famous American pastor that ever lived, It's like the 1700s. And he's again, like I said, one of the best pastors to ever live. He got fired from his church, they didn't like him very, they were not the best, but they fired him. And so that was very stressful for him, especially in that context, that economic environment. And so he didn't have a a way to provide for his family. He had been rejected by these people that he had served. So if you put yourself in his shoes, that's really stressful and it would be great cause for panic, anxiety, and bitterness. But this one guy that knew him really well that was in the church wrote this journal. And in the journal, he describes Jonathan Edwards during this season. And he was just shocked. He's like, this is the craziest thing, but this guy doesn't even show the slightest level of concern. He has this peace, this gentleness, this joy, and this love, even in the midst of this crazy thing happening. And so the question is, how is that possible? How's that possible for you? How's that possible for me? It's possible because he he knew who he belongs to. That's what he knew. He knew that he belongs to God. God saved him. God's not going to abandon him. And God's going to finish what he started. And so that enabled him to have the stability in everything that was going on around That's how you face suffering. That's how you face uncertainty. That's how you face challenges. And so if you remember and rejoice, you'll be unshakable in the dark days. And so I want to encourage you uh, to do that. Next week, we're going to get specific with some things that we go through. But these are going to be the foundation for us going forward. So I'm going to pray and then I'll send you out of here. God, we love you. We do thank you for this day. We thank you that you are good. Um, God, we just confess that we are forgetful people. We confess that oftentimes we want to escape. Um, Lord, we thank you that Habakkuk is this example of what it looks like to remember and rejoice in who you are, your sovereignty, your goodness, your faithfulness, your love, your wisdom and in what you've done, most notably sending Jesus to save us. So Lord, this week when we're tempted to forget, when we're tempted to panic, help us go to you. Help us remember and rejoice in who you are and what you've done. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.